and welcome to another edition of Spotlight. And the, the movies! <laughs> the Star Trek podcast, where we analyse the Star Trek universe from a non-Trekkie perspective. And as an example of that, we are doing another episode of Spotlight at the Movies, which originated because we're all massive film fans, with film degrees, and basically we just wanted to talk about other films on the podcast and have an excuse to talk about it. So we do Spotlight in the Movies, where we analyse a film uh, featuring a member of Star Trek alumni, either in front or behind the camera. Today, uh, we're doing The Andromeda Strain, uh, the 1971 film directed by Robert Wise, who also directed, of course, Star Trek, the motion picture, a film that my co-host Paul is a big fan of. Say hello, Paul. Hello, and I'm, I was saying just a fan, rabid. As you'll hear more about when we do our 40th <laughs> anniversary episode of Star Trek The Motion Picture later this so year. I am so excited about this. You know, you people who listen to us regular, you know, big Star Trek fans often like will want more Star Trek content. Don't worry, it's coming. We're going to be Star Trek Next Generation Revisited, Revisited soon. But for me, I really can't wait to introduce these guys to Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition, mm. directed by Robert Wise, where he came back 20 years later to have his final say on the movie. You think that'll change everything? I think it'll change everything. <laughs> I think it's a whole new movie. It is. You can also hear my other co-host, Matt Brothers. Hello. There famously is no comparison to the motion picture, but we're going to try today with Andromeda Strain. So we'll <laughs> try see. Try as we might. You may... Also here, the podcast, um, Paul's Oven, which is currently <laughs> cooking a chicken. Um, we are in the kitchen as we've been ousted from our usual recording studio by Theo, Paul's baby, who has kicked us out. He's already like, producing and running this show. Like a bouncer in a club on Bournemouth for a Saturday night. Yeah. Um, so we're here in Roasting with the Chicken. Hopefully it won't bother you too much. Well, technically the chicken is a returning guest star. After Which, uh, which one was that? Uh, it when was we were... our original oh, series. Oh my God! Mayhem. Uh, it was our original series episode with David Chumble where we were recording on Skype with David a rare occurrence for kind of a regular guest and Paul had to keep running out to check on the chicken that he was cooking (laughs) at the time Uh, always eating these bloody chickens eh? yeah 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 I think it was around when we do it because I think it was around Christmas yeah I think so I think that's the thing uh, now Matt's dipping into a Terry's chocolate orange. It's all just gone that he bought insane. for how much? Seventy five. Seventy five p. Seventy five p. From the local Tesco, <laughs> uh, down from two pounds. <laughs> and I knew as soon as we saw it on the window that Matt would be straight in for that. He's now going to choke. It's <laughs> <laughs> more of that top class audio content you guys want. <laughs> there is no comparison. <laughs> Uh, so, yes, so we are today talking about The Andromeda Strain, 1971, directed by Robert Wise. He is the big track connection with this one, although, of course, the cinematography uh, was done by Richard H. Klein, who was the director of photography on Star Trek The Motion Picture ah. as well. They reteamed again for uh, Motion Picture later and, on. And brought in all his split diopers shots. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some use of split screens in this film, 
which seem very ahead of their time. Yeah. You know, positively spooks and 24-like, I'd say, in very terms of the, yeah. the, the kind of split screens we talk about. I mean, I... I was, I was referring more to the split diopter, which is the um, where the camera lens, like, it's got two focus points on it, so oh. the, the background and the foreground are focused at the same time. Yeah, there's a lot and of those. And there's, like, a hundred-plus shots of that, and then the motion picture, to ensure they could light the bridge correctly, um, uh, you know, where they had all these kind of like projected screens, like sort of doing all the displays. Um, they had to kind of like do that loads with like actually they had to get everything focused, was use these special lenses. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a hallmark of Wise's style almost between this and motion picture. This was written by Nelson Gidding, who was kind of Rolf Wise's go-to writer, wrote, I want to live, Odds Against Tomorrow, The Haunting, which we also covered on this podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, podcast. this is our second Robert Wise spot that the movie. It is. Uh, we covered The Haunting for Halloween special last year. So this is almost like basically an exact year, pretty much, uh, since we last did a Wise uh, film. Um, so we're back with him now. This is based on Michael Crichton's 1969 novel. Michael Crichton, of course, famous for... Uh, writing the original uh, novels of Jurassic Park. Uh, obviously, huge sci-fi franchises. Uh, Jurassic Park, obviously, adapted by Steven Spielberg. And uh, now still getting made today as uh, a franchise. We've just had Jurassic Park mm-hmm. Battle at Little Big Rock. Yeah. Uh, the short film directed by Con Battle at Big Rock? Is it Battle at Big Rock? I don't think Rock? there's no little. Yeah. Oh, okay, I've I made it a little. I think, so I think if you're in the land before time or something, Little Foot's Big Adventure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I actually saw Colin Trevorrow live recently at the London Podcast Festival uh, for 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest, Sam Clement's excellent podcast, which I'm going to be guest starring on soon. Uh, where they showed safety not guaranteed. There's only uh, they only cover films that are ninety minutes or less, hence the title. And Colin Trevorrow actually joined Sam live on stage uh, to talk about the film. Um, safety not guaranteed. Very very good. I heartily recommend it. Um, but he's now having lots of success with directing the Jurassic World films mm-hmm. and also getting fired off Star Wars movies. <laughs> probably did quite well out of that, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he did. He probably got a lot of pay or play kind of like deal, 100%. didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd already got, got them, took the money and ran. <laughs> uh, but today we'll talk about the Andromeda strain. It's got quite an intriguing concept. With the suddenness of a snapping finger, a whole town dies, almost without a trace. Theory, I suppose a single organism could do it. But in fact, there isn't an organism under it. You mean there didn't used to be? Almost without a clue. Except. Except for a six month old baby and a 60 year old derelict. They have faced the Andromeda strain and survived. But will anybody else? It's growing. The Robert Wise production of the most incredible bestseller of the decade. The Andromeda Strain. 130 minutes of intense excitement. 96 of the most critical hours in world history. Suspense to last a lifetime. Maybe too intense for younger children. The Robert Wise production of The Andromeda Strain. Rated G. So yeah, this is the story of a US Army satellite that falls to Earth near Piedmont, New Mexico. The recovery team experiences difficulties as it becomes clear that the satellite has performed its intended function all too well and has brought back something from space. A team of scientists is assembled in a high-tech underground facility to identify and defeat the enemy before it is too late. Can I just talk about Crichton? You know, you talk a lot about him being famous for Jurassic Park. 
and I think, but you know, he also um, was well. He his previous life before he was a writer, he was um, a doctor in the ER, and you know, he's also known as the creator of ER. Like, oh, of course he is. So, yeah. So you know, he has a medical background, and you can see a lot of that in this. Um, he's also directed a film called Coma in the late seventies. So you know, anything medically based, you know, he has got a little bit of a background or previous mm. in this. But this would be his first big film made of his works. He's America's Jeb Mercurio. But I believe this is the only film that Michael Crichton cameoed in. He is in the surgery scene earlier on, so he's getting his medical on right there. Yeah, yeah. and you're a big fan of Westworld, aren't you? Yes, Matt? yes I am. The TV show. Yeah. Like, uh, is he dead or alive, Crichton? Dead. Yeah. dead. Dead. Long since dead, or? 2008. 2008, okay, so he never saw Jurassic World. Yeah, he definitely has a type with these stories, doesn't he? Some kind of facility, or something running amok, getting out of hand, whether it's dinosaurs, robots, or well, viruses. Yeah. yeah, he did, like, another one about, like, a micro, kind of, like, um, sort of, uh, you know, um, robots, like, small subatomic robots. Oh, like, like nanobots. Nano, nanobots, mm. yeah, that got loose in oh, New exactly. Mexico. That's one of the books he wrote kind of in the 90s, I believe. And it's not one that's been... I don't think it's been adapted. Made. I think he's probably got many, many films that like could be made of his books. In fact, I think there was... His last one published posthumously um, was about like um, Port Royal, like a pirate-based movie, which Spielberg also has optioned. Um, oh, okay. I think it's called Pirate Latitudes. It's in development. Um, and uh, But he also... Uh, it's interesting because Spielberg clearly you know, knew he was onto a good one here when he optioned Jurassic Park before it even came out. Like, he's like, this is going to be... Oh, really? Because that's one of those cases where... We were talking about this the other day um, of books where they got the author to write the second book yeah. in order for them to turn it into a film, mm. but then didn't actually really adapt the book that he wrote. Because Lost World, the book, is nothing like the actual yeah. film. Well, a lot of the people who died in Jurassic Park are actually alive in Lost World. Like, um, right. They, uh, they, both Attenborough's character and Goblins were killed off in the book. Jurassic Park. Right, I so see. So it necessitated a whole different, like, sort of look and things, I think. He's forced to just make a, a sequel to his book off the whims of the more successful movies. He's um, also, you know, I think there's two sides. So there's the medical side of Crichton, and there's also the technological side of Crichton. You know, we've got the, obviously, Jurassic Park. Um, Is he you know, Congo? He's also Congo. Um, but, you know, I've only seen the movie Disclosure with Michael Douglas, where it's like the reverse sexual harassment where he is the victim <laughs> uh, of sexual harassment work by a woman. And just remember, I'm the victim. I am the victim. Uh, but it also retains like some really elongated scenes of virtual reality, like where, you know, Mugler's um, character discovering major plot points through breaking into like 3D world of like this you know, computer archive and walking through these walls. Basically, it's like Doom 2 comes to life like, <laughs> file, with filing cabinets. It's really riveting, not. Uh, and uh, this basically does tap into two huge aspects of Crichton's personality in, in his writing yeah. and his works. And another little tidbit, I don't know if he met Spielberg here, but when Michael Crichton visited the Andromeda Strain set, he was shown around the universe a lot by Spielberg. Oh yeah, in 71, like, uh, Spielberg uh, would have been nothing, wouldn't he? Like, was 71 Jewel or was yeah, that? It was, yeah, it was, yeah. So he'd been directing TV for Universal, TV. where he just basically turned up on the studio lot and made himself at home, as yeah. according to legend. You know, and cry would be terrified to go get back to TV, kid, your boy. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, it is an intriguing concept. This film, and uh, early on, um, the scenes where they go to the dead town, it's basically been wiped out by the uh, satellite crash, are very disturbing. 
I think. And, you know, they can't find a woman who's hung herself because it's this idea of after the satellite crash, people started to gradually die. And so that there are people like highly religious people in the town who thought it was the apocalypse and killed themselves as a result. So you've got a woman hanging and a kind of cat's just sitting there kind of looking at her. You've got a man who's drowned himself in the bath. And those scenes, I think, are really freaky, especially when they start slicing a guy open and find out that his blood has turned solid and crystallised. And it's all kind of just draining like out of his... sand coming out. It, it's really, I, all that stuff, I thought, yeah, was well, really it's, freaky. It's real, so. horror, it's real horror imagery. And like, you know, I was wondering, like, oh, did they all kill themselves? Is it like the happening, 70s style? Yeah. And of course, you got the bit before that with when uh, the people in the base hear the account of the pickup crew going through, but all through audio, so you get the sense yeah. of the first team going in and just hearing the I horrors over... Very torture. effective opening yeah. sequence with mm. that, because mm. you've got, like, through the, um, you know, what should be a routine pickup, you know, you'll kind of look something very off about this town, and they're going in, and you kind of hear screams of the radio, and it's done in very kind of militaristic kind of jargony kind of thing. You really feel like you're kind of just dropped in this situation as a viewer, and it's, it's compelling, mm. very compelling to begin mm. with, and I think you yeah. kind of... Um, in some of the ways where it doesn't like you know treat the audience like an idiot it's like you, people they trust the audience to pick up what's going on and kind of it really you know the fact that it's so dramatic what's happening that you kind of do throw yourself into yep. it as a viewer um, so I think definitely the first few scenes really like are, are very strong yeah and there's the like assembling the team montage with everybody getting told all oh, our main players getting told what's going on and being brought in and stuff I think before the doctor heads into the town so that's just a, it's just really pacey like the whole opening her whole first act is so pacey and like getting them all together and getting them into town and finding out what's going on it's very quick before you realise what's it's happening it's very odd though for, for like a film where it actually does um, uh, have the American sort of military intelligence thing kind of cotton on very quickly to the gravity of the situation you know they're not messing about they are calling in like the experts straight away and uh, whilst there's still like a bit of to and fro mm. between like some of the suits and generals you know who like want to even nuke it or not nuke it um, you know you have <laughs> but you know that, that's really the only thing other than that they kind of do assemble it quite quickly yeah and it feels so real like it feels like these are the steps and conversations that would be involved in some kind of extraterrestrial breakout so it feels just like yeah I'm, I'm you know, the tone is hitting the ground running like I'm like yes and it's got a, you'll, you'll notice the style of the film has got a lot of time codes like you know it'll be a bit like X-Files where you yeah. have like a time and a place yes and you know this is like something, you know, command centre, you know, 8pm 8, 8 and um, and stuff like that will come from the screen, like a ticker tape. And so I think whether that, I don't think I recall really seeing anything like that in cinema before. Mm. Um, you know, it's a bit of a mixture of 24 and, you know, and, um, and X-Files really, mm. those kind of things that will come later. Um, For the caption of where it is and the time, the yeah. time, exactly. And I think that trouble is though, it kind of has, it, it goes a little bit too far with that at times because what we have is trying to, with a pseudo documentary style that, that kind of kicks off with, but it's very like happening in real time and uh, you know, time-coded. Um, but then you have some things that are kind of set in the future, looking back at the events. And it's kind of, you know, it's a modern horror trope, I find, as well, where they kind of start in medias res, uh, where you start halfway through or near the end of something, and then you kind of flash back. And it kind of... All it does for me is confirm, okay, so people lived mm, to that point. Because yeah. there's a sort of hearing going on, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, you know, almost after the fact, it's like, oh, what happened? It's like, well, clearly the world didn't end. But mm, I think, you know, mm. we had an opportunity here to have, like, this could be worst-case scenario. Um, and and so, you know, with that kind of, like, 
it's, it's flashbacky bits or flash forwards. It's yeah, just, that framing device is a very odd choice for this. Yeah, yeah but so much of it is built on the tension of is it going to get out? How bad is it going to be? Can people contain it? And, well, yeah, yeah because I mean, it's, you know, the way they're talking, they're like, if this uh, gets out, this kind of infection, that's it. Like, the whole world wiped out, basically. Like, yeah. you know. And so, yeah, it really does rob some tension mm. to be put put in that situation. You did some exhibition quarter, didn't you? Yeah, yeah cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- I mean, there is a real striving for authenticity here, isn't there? You feel like that's what they're really going for. I would say almost above all else in terms of, I think, at a certain point they maybe lose sight of making an entertaining movie. Do you know because there's a 30-minute decontamination sequence? Yeah, I mean, like, (laughs) and just concentrating on... The difficulty with films like this is when you're taking a clearly sci-fi concept and kind of approaching it with rigorous authenticity... And while that can work to your advantage in some ways, I think you also can't lose sight of the fact that you're still making at its grassroots a sci-fi sort of weird alien-y kind of movie. And you, it, uh, it's that thing of going, this isn't like a Ken Loach film, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's not about real things. So you can, yes, of course you want to be realistic and grounded but you can also have some fun yeah and this movie is not fun no and I think it comes down a bit to the casting really that like you've got quite a few people you know there's nothing really to kind of separate them out they're almost the three male doctors are very cut from the same cloth by a bunch of also rounds aren't they yeah Uh, and the and you know only the kind of one female kind of addition which was kind of almost it wasn't in the novel um, to the cast she brings anything different where you kind of like she's a bit of a wild card so you've got Dr. Rufus introduced yeah, she's potentially quite ill herself, so you wonder if she's almost a ticking time bomb in herself. It's epilepsy, doesn't she? Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't made clear what it was to begin with. I thought it was like lung cancer or something like that, you know? <laughs> right. Because she, she's seen smoking, but of course everybody was smoking, so everybody's got <laughs> um, But, you know, and she's kind of the foot, the one that really doesn't want to go, is a little bit more kind of world-weary and kind of, and is the one that kind of eventually twigs that there's some kind of like, they bought this on themselves. There's a military aspect to this whole thing that kind of, you know, really this you know, didn't just happen by chance. Um, but yeah, the other people, I really just couldn't tell them apart. I should point out about uh, Ruth. Um, Robert Wise originally wanted her played by a Raquel Welsh type. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's a very just a diversifier. It's a very bit. different film. Well, um, well, you can see, like... I mean, look at it now. We say there's there's not enough entertainment in this movie. She would have bought the entertainment, like <laughs> Doctor Christmas Jones. Well, I now... was going to say Doctor Christmas Jones. You know, our nuclear physicist uh, from World Is Not Enough, played by Denise Richards. So, you know, the thing is, you're saying about how there's not much to you know tell these people apart. And yeah, the role of Ruth was in the book Peter Levitt. So they gender swapped character out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. good. Obviously, it was Nelson Gidding, the screenwriter, who actually fought for this and fought for her not to be a kind of Raquel Welsh uh, type who was just kind of, you know, not really well, doing I much mean, science stuff and face. It could have just been like, you know, there's not really any kind of 
I always bemoan like the fact that you know we don't have films like the 70s where people aren't people <laughs> in movies are too good looking now but the, you know there's so many <laughs> what you're movies. saying is there's a bunch of uggos you're like <laughs> I, can't, I can't watch this I just really think they could have been like somebody like you it's could just have real been. 70s people but I'm we so were literally a talking <laughs> we were literally talking to Bob about this the other night weren't we in terms of uh, Bob Salin producer of Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan who we interviewed again on one of our recent episodes um, we were talking about the fact that there's no fucking way that now they start a new franchise with uh, all of the cast of like Star Trek the original series at the age they were in motion picture mm-hmm. like now like there's no blockbusters getting started like if they went they start oh we're starting a new MCU franchise like if they went oh we're going to do the X-Men films now they wouldn't go let's get all of the cast from like the 2000 X-Men film now and this go they even though they'd still look a lot in better nick mm-hmm. than the ones in uh, motion picture but it's just that's the thing like at that time, you watch something like Andromeda Strain and you go, this was a time where you could just cast three really balding, old, white blokes as your leads and no one bad eyes. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing... No, you wouldn't bad eyes because your eyes will close and stay closed. <laughs> <laughs> but there is nothing to differentiate them. No, they're, they're not enough. Like, yeah. They're not enough of their own personalities, and I thought there was more chance for kind of like um, you have the Doctor Hall, who's the person who invented the project for this eventuality. So he's basically con Congress out of like what ninety million dollars to build this facility underground in the middle of the desert, and within this, um, what is you know built as a kind of agricultural center. So you've got the middle of the Nevada desert. There's one lighthouse and uh, a couple of you know, uh, acres of green where they're growing something. So it's like a cover story for the fact that it's an underground sort of um, scientific kind of research labs, five levels of, you know, Mm. more and more secure decontamination to like for something like this could happen. It's a really evocative kind of like um, setup, actually. It's quite surreal. It feels like something out of the best of the X-Files, actually. Mm. You know, some of those kind of, um, yeah, what they call them in those, uh, the X-Files, the... Legacies episodes or the um, mythology episodes, mythology episodes, you know, where you'd have like the virus that the the alien virus, that kind of thing. So I thought it was kind of ahead of its time with that kind of thing. And that was one of the coolest uses of the split screen when they're going down the lift, and yeah. the, the little lift icon is kind of in the middle of the screen, and then the two splits either side. So you can, as they're chatting in real time, you can see it going down. Yeah, you do thing. really thought and there's a lot of time spent kind of getting the kind of layout sorted because it comes into big play later yeah. on about you know where they kind of um, destruct self-destruct kind of like council points are. It's a big kind of plot point but which they probably could have done more with actually the different mm-hmm. levels once it all goes wrong yeah yeah I mean the decontamination stuff it is quite interesting cool and surrealistic but at the same time you are checking your watch you go wait a minute we're still in the decontamination bit because it does go on for like ever, doesn't yeah. it? Like, yeah, because it's literally they, they get on on a certain level and they're like, right now you got to do the, the certain scrub thing here, and they get then they throw their old clothes away, get new ones, go into a lift, go down, do something else, throw clothes away, get new ones. It, it does pretty much show all of it almost in real time, like without skipping any steps. Well, this is a two plus hour, and this is the thing. Mm-hmm. If at the end when shit's going wrong, they were being they were like being chased by the escaping virus back up the levels back up four three two one but that would almost justify showing all those levels but when it all goes to hell on the third act it's all still right at the bottom basically yeah it's only get to level four and then it kind of stops there isn't it or level three so if you're going to use all that time to show all different levels make it pay off later and it Mm. doesn't and i think also you know there's the very kind of make a big thing about i mean color coded 
Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, the colours are the ones that you don't end up in are pretty much identical as well. <laughs> like red, yellow, orange. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I really liked there was um, some good use of early kind of, like, tech there. Well, they made it look really good, which was a, a 3D representation of, like, the levels on the computer screen. So you're seeing things that did eventually come to pass, which are kind of ahead of its time. Like, you know, um, sort of a heads-up computerised display, basically a computer... Dark Trumbull. That, yeah, that just well, they can just kind of put anything in like to the system and it'll run run the test for them. Um, and I think a lot of the um, uh, sort of in the lab where you have the various kind of arms that they can control to kind of like do, deal with the virus and mm. some of the um, experiments, you know, it still holds up. It's like really it does, cool, yeah, yeah, and it's mm. been really well thought out. However, it isn't as it is only compelling up to a point. And I think this film does take quite a long time in its second act to just kind of show you all this stuff, mm. but it doesn't have. The momentum, like you know, there's yeah, it's it. Unfortunately, they make a big thing about the ticking clock. So, the whole introduction to this facility, Dr. Hall says that you know, we are sitting upon an atomic device which will which will be activated at first sign of problems, and there's only one person amongst our crew who can de- deactivate it. The trouble is, it doesn't get activated until maybe five minutes before the film ends, and uh, you know, where it could have gone off earlier. And I think the whole thing is like it should have been a countdown, mm. and uh, you know, and we're not really getting that. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that coming in the outside world, and there's a kind of problem with communications, but it's not quite enough to kind of really amp up the tension that you want, um, because the you know really we're just watching a documentary about them like looking into this uh, the yeah. virus. It happens yeah. quite statesman like pace. It does feel documentary like, and even when that uh, time bomb like does kind of start counting down. They seem that bothered about it. They seem quite nonchalant. Oh, I don't know. I think I think certainly where you know the last sequence is does actually kind of raise your pulse above like a you know a, a, a light jog. Uh, you know, <laughs> makes you feel alive. Makes you feel alive. Yeah. But the lasers that is, basically he has to climb up a kind of a, a maintenance hatch where these uh, targeting lasers will zap anything. With, you know, that's a contamination. Yeah, in my head I was picturing like a vault. You know, with all the lasers everywhere. Yeah, but, it's but they are the slowest things of all time. And they take ages to like, and all you have to do is just move slightly to the left, and it will duck, miss you. Duck, uh, duck, and um, so yeah, it's quite. It, you know what should be quite exciting. Yeah, it's kind of amusing. That's the thing. Any way. film like this that has those kind of problems, the answer is always just bump up the bad thing that happens. Like so, this it find you know yeah. the countdown stuff. Bump it up. What ha- what happens to the film if that happens at the midpoint? Mm. Then you have to fill the rest of the film with consequences and more action. So yeah. just make everything happen earlier, and you get more room to do crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is it for me. This is a film that should be ninety minutes, really. Like, well, you know, I think like, if in the right hands, it could go a hundred. Yeah, if just more stuff actually. Right. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think if you you don't want to lose that first act, like because it was yes, so well very done, true. And yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. and that does need to go quite slowly to kind of build up the the, mm. the fear of what you've come. You're mm. walking into mm. here and like you know walking through the town yeah. and uh, and those kind of discoveries you know you don't want that to be kind of quickly paced because it needs to kind of give you the gravity of what's actually could happen to the rest of the world mm. well that's mm. it what's happening is happening slow but it is a quick pace in terms of film like scenes move along because there's so much to kind of show and get done but what's happening is kind of unfolding yeah. at a slower pace and we do have our wild card I mean Dr. Hall the main kind of like guy again who set up the facility you know he has all the information He's, he knows how it all, all works and he's called this team in, you know, essentially is revealed to be a collaborator with the military to kind of find alien, like, you know, viruses for potential military applications. Yes. And that's all kind of done with in like one shouting match, like mm-hmm. uh, with, with, with him and Ruth late in the picture. But he, he's not, he's not looked like the bad guy, you know, no. it's like, you know, it's that could have come out earlier. It could have really thrown up the dynamic. It could potentially have traitors in the midst, you know, 
I, you know, people with like maybe one of the people he's chosen got really extreme politics potentially. There were some things that could have happened to kind of really add up the drama, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is successfully kind of claustrophobic, I think, which is what reminded me of, you mentioned earlier, Sphere, uh, another Michael Crichton adaptation from 1998. Have either of you guys seen it? Yes, I have. Uh, no, I, I, I saw it at the cinema back in 1998. Five uh, star then. What's that? Five star, best for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, at the time, I was like, this is like a four star, like, paranoia. Mm, uh, Sam Jackson, Sharon Stone, Dustin Hoffman, pretty good. Yeah, that's a very good trio. Um, it's uh, about a spaceship being discovered at the bottom of the ocean. Three scientists, played by Hoffman, Stone, and Jackson, are deployed um, to the spaceship, and they kind of go a bit bonkers uh, down below. It's got a very similar vibe. Warner Brothers presents the movie event of the year. We think there's an unknown life form on this spacecraft. 1,000 feet below. So you're saying this spacecraft crashed 300 years ago? In the most alien environment on Earth. Look at the size of that thing. A new kind of terror. That's reflecting everything but us. Is taking shape. From author Michael Crichton. It's human. You think this is coming from the sphere? It's an American spaceship. It can't be an American spaceship. It's 300 years old. This is a first. You are now online with an alien intelligence. Why won't you answer me? Did you go inside the sphere? He didn't tell you what's inside the sphere, did he? If we've made you angry... Dustin Hoffman. That's not me! Sharon Stone. That's not crazy! Samuel L. Jackson. You afraid of dying, Norm? I'm not gonna die here. Sphere. I would personally say that Sphere is more successful yeah. than this. I definitely, um, it's very compelling. And I think it's, the trouble with Sphere is like, you know, um, I can't remember how it was all, but I remember not being happy with the resolution because it, it's got so much set up mm. and so much kind of, um, you know, wonder about like what they've discovered and the potential implications of it. You know, it's it's very difficult to satisfy your curiosity because you're as an audience, what you can imagine is always going to be bigger than what they can potentially come up with. But the difference there is you have free magnetic performers in Jackson, Hoffman and Stone, mm. which you do not have here. Mm. Like, you know, straight away, like, you know, you say those names, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll watch that movie. Yeah. Like, you know, whereas here, like, everyone is so kind of, you know, just carbon coffee with each other, basically. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like um, you say, it's taking that documentary approach where it feels so real it can happen, but it's a premise and setup that allows you to throw in tons of movie stuff to happen, like stuff that would be exciting to watch and tense to see. And it doesn't until far too late. So yeah, you have this weird mash where it's like, this is realist to the point of everyone feels like real people. They don't even feel like actors or characters. But well, that's, that's a detriment yeah. to it. Yeah, that's a weird thing, isn't it? Because you want it does again. It comes back to this documentary thing where you, you're right in saying it feels like real people. Like you know, in terms of, but not in a. But not interesting real people. <laughs> it was like, you know, if this was a reality TV show, they would have cut these guys out. They would have gone like... Uh, they're, the, they're the weak one reject. These guys are too boring. Quickly look, find another three like, volunteers to make our reality TV show about. So one of our big problems with this film, well, I think we all agree potentially the sterility of it as well. Mm. And I think there's a, a charge levelled at the motion picture at times as well that particularly, you know, and I'm going to make the case that the direct decision adds... The, the, the heart back in 
because you know the final cut takes all the character moments out and people are saying well but there's no room for any of like Chekhov's and Sulu's to have their time in the sun it's like well they were there they were shot but they just weren't included right so you know it took the direct decision to kind of get a bit more around the picture whereas you know here like there's not the much humanity there it is very much process driven and um and the sets are sterile the sets are great but yeah they're, but they're like by design blank and white and mm, mm. well yeah because everything is is going for realism isn't it in yeah. terms of how they work because what i should say is um the infectious diseases society of america said this was kind of like one of the most scientifically accurate films ever made about kind of how a team would treat an infectious like alien disease or any kind of infectious kind of disease and you know yeah clearly that's what they strove for that realism authenticity and i think they achieved that yeah. it's just whether that is particularly interesting to watch what was everybody's kind of knowledge of this movie before we i picked it i picked it by the way. i recognized the title but i didn't i didn't know what it was about or anything really. i again recognized the title says i knew it was a well-known film in terms of a reasonably well-regarded sci-fi movie like the andromeda strain is like a thing and it has been remade uh, it's a tv miniseries uh produced by the scott brothers tony scott and ridley scott um and it was made 2008 uh two-part miniseries clocking in at 169 minutes uh so if you thought this was too long like uh <laughs> check that out. i don't it doesn't sound like it massively improves on this either no. uh like so. westworld which is you know apparently you know really takes the concept and makes it something spectacular mm -hmm. matt's a big fan of that show yes yeah. and you've caught up now yeah i've caught up i've done the first two seasons of westworld i far prefer the first season to the second uh not say the second is awful or anything it's just that um i think I i'm looking forward to the third season because the third season feels like it offers something new and fresh Definitely. again which i didn't think the second season did yeah i think when whenever the show ends you'll look at the seasons of westworld and i think season two is going to be like the quantum of solace to season one's casino royale yeah, in that it's example, like yeah. it's kind of the end of what we've seen but stretched a bit because it all you know season two takes place over a very short time span so it feels naturally like the ending or a shorter yeah. coda to that whereas season three seems to be very very different again so yeah. plus bizarre structural choices like which yeah. links up with solace as well like uh but season three looks very very interesting so you know definitely up for getting back on that yeah for me i i again i heard the name i wasn't quite sure like you know where it stood in kind of the pantheon of like you know thrillers and you know sci-fi movies really i kind of it clearly wasn't like one of the ones that was indispensable because it was, I would have probably seen it by now, but, um, you know, I've actually kind of, there's a big kind of blind spot for me for early 70s um, sci-fi movies. So Soylent Green, mm -hmm. I have not seen. Logan's Run? I have, that's the only one brilliant with a bunch I have. Omega Man, I haven't Capricorn seen. Capricorn One, which is the kind of like moon landing -y one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, there, there are a bunch of those kind of like early 70s sci-fi movies. Yeah, yeah Soylent Green, I think is, you know, definitely should be something I should see because yeah, it gets referenced so many times. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they, they, they have a certain aesthetic, these um, early 70s movies, which are quite, quite, quite compelling and I love Logan's Run for that. You know, it's, I can, I mean, they've looked, they've moved a remake for Logan's Run for so many years now. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it was Brian Singer, wasn't it? Oh, and, that, and that ain't never happening now. And it was Nicholas winning Refn for ages. Oh, yeah. uh, was it? Yeah, I think he was attached wow. 
Um, but yeah, that's one that's been booted around people for a while. Yeah. So I think there's a, there's, there's, the concepts are strong for these movies, uh, but they kind of are of their time a little bit. Mm. Mm. One mm. concept that they invented for this, because you say about realism, but something they apparently did invent was the idea of the odd man hypothesis, which I quite enjoyed. The idea that the guy out of the team who's picked to be the one to hold on to the deactivate the nuke codes, basically is like a, a guy with no marital ties or any family at all. So like the idea being he's in a better position to decide if he has to do a tough thing rather than someone who has somebody waiting for them essentially in the real world. So the idea that this guy's picked to be the one running around with like the, the off key is quite uh, effective. Okay. Uh, so should we do final thoughts? Yeah. Paul, it. you go as you picked it. Well, um, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm glad I've seen it. I wasn't like as hope. I wasn't as happy with the end result. Really, to be honest, I was. I was hoping for more. Like it did have a great beginning, and it just like didn't kind of fulfil on its promise. Really, um, you know, it's it's certainly you know work well directed. I can see what Rise is trying to do. Yeah, I thought there's massive chances for more drama to have occurred. Yeah, you know, it spends a lot of time in the wrong places. I think, um, and so yeah, there's a great film in there waiting to get out. I just it's 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 a good film. I can I can recommend it. Like it's uh, yeah, free star. Okay, um, yeah, I'm going to fall in line with you. Uh, again, three stars. Um, that's the thing, it scrapes a three star for me, but I don't really feel like I can give it any less than that because it, it, it's undoubtedly well made um, in terms of because it's that thing of all the things that it's trying to do, it achieves. It may always because it's clearly trying to be this really super authentic, almost documentary, cinema verite-like yeah. uh, representation. And, you know, like the infectious disease site America says. Like, yeah. yeah, they did very well with that. But the camera work wasn't a mirror in that because, it, like, the cameras weren't at the point where they could be handheld. They could, yes, you know, that's very true. It's very... Shot. It should be shot 16mm or something like that if they wanted to do that. But it's, it's very not. True. It's very lots locked-off shots, very static at times. You know, it's only the kind of framing device that's trying to give it that kind of documentary feel, which is at odds with the visual thing they've chosen. Yeah, it's typically austere, isn't it, kind of thing, and it's um, production. And I, I think that, you know, I think that's wise in a lot of ways. I think he's kind of, you know, he comes to that kind of yesteryear kind of world of filmmaking. But then again, I mean, haunting really throws that on its head. So, you know, yeah. he, can, he can do it. I think this is maybe... This is in the latter days of Wise's career in the 70s where he is moving towards more that kind of filmmaking. Um, well, it's the last guy of, like, you know, the, the huge, like, um, uh, prestige picture, you know, the kind of film with, with an overture. Kind yes, of film, which is like, Sam Pebbles. Yeah, that had, a, had an overture, an intermission, uh, you know, uh, motion picture has an overture. And, you know, it's just that kind of last kind of film that was a huge kind of event to go to. Mm, and mm. I kind of died after that, really. Yeah, completely. And I do absolute props for like the early, like the first third or quarter, first act of the film, um, you know, in the kind of the dead town, I think is really effective. And it got me really excited for the film. Well, there's the boob shot as well. Like randomly, like the camera holds on this like topless woman for like a good five seconds. And, and it has a zoom in, I think. And this film gets a G rating, apparently, at the time. That was wise making up for not getting Raquel Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would go with you. Three stars. It's it's quite drawn out, I think. Uh, very, very dry. 
But it is successfully like caused. Blood. <laughs> but it is it is successfully it's making my blood sound. Is successfully claustrophobic. Um and I think it does achieve what it sets out to do. And it's a, a very different, interesting way of doing a sci-fi film. Hundred percent. Mm. Uh, feels very modern. Feels more modern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, if you want to watch more modern, just watch Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman again. Like, uh, yeah, there you yeah. go. I haven't seen Outbreak. That's oh, uh, quite quite good. Uh, there's another film as well. Like, uh, is it Contagion by uh, uh, Steven Soderbergh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a series as well that's very like this called Helix. I remember it. It was quite cheesy, but it was it was a group of scientists going to a facility like this and in the Arctic, I think the Antarctic. Uh, and dealing with a strain of virus there. And I think I saw the first season, maybe, I think, I don't know how many it ran for, two or three, and it didn't quite hold it, but that was an interesting, like, people, characters kind of like these, doing this kind of stuff in an Arctic lab, and it became, you know, who can you trust, and it had a lot more to offer, and the isolation of the Arctic setting made it a bit more like the thing, perhaps, but that was an example of doing this kind of idea in a long-form way that isn't just, like, a three-part version of this that, drags out the same idea was this in the era where we would actually watch shit tv shows because yeah something cuts, but it's about maybe like 2010 2011 i think it's just after i moved so okay yeah. okay matt uh yeah like you said how you give it three star and you couldn't think of going any lower for a while i was three and a half without thinking i could possibly no, go I any saw higher. You scratch your half out yes i actually did because I, I do like a lot of this, like I think it's shot very handsomely in times. I mean, in the stillness of it allows it to have some very uh, good looking shots. Uh, and the amount of kind of ideas it toys with and twists it plays with later on are just, I guess, looking back now, more frustrating and of what it could have done. But stuff like, you know, the twist being that if the nuke goes off, it's only going to make the virus stronger. Uh, the fake out with Ruth's epilepsy when people, it looks like she's infected, but it's different oh, conditions yeah, that, clever. that could have like they could have done so much more with that by having like a group of if they had more characters to play with because this is a scene where she kind of has a seizure and there's random other scientists there that we haven't really seen before but they could have had a whole thing of like who to trust like is she infected do we do we, you know like we're walking dead this with zombie bites all the time it's like you know do we chuck her away or whatever Get Raquel in the, clothes, in the clothes bin. Yeah, <laughs> and, the, and the mystery of like, you know, what is it that connects? Because the two survivors from the town is this old man and this baby, and this whole running mystery of like trying to work out what it is oh, yeah. that means these are the two survivors is really interesting. And the answer is interesting, and I assume scientifically uh, okay. I've, I've no idea, but I guess so, if the rest of it is. Um, if you're yeah. a scientist, write in. Write in. And yeah, there's some there's some interesting, maybe slightly shady techniques you can do now with them actually like gassing a monkey half to death. Oh um, yeah, because that was a very effective sequence where they they basically lift the lid off a bunch of cages of rats and monkeys to see if it's an airborne virus, and they kind of in a sustained shot you see them like sort of choke up and collapse. And I read that they just they literally did have this monkey in a room filled with CO two, lifted the lid wait for it to pass out and then basically shout a cut and someone ran in with an O2 canister to revive it basically and apparently you can see the shadow of the guy waiting to run in during that but it's quite harrowing just watch basically like a monkey yeah. die for real in front fucking of fucking hell Peter would be on the blower now like. yeah <laughs> um, but there's a there's a lot of, like of that in there and, and much of it is a kind of slow walk and talk uh, hypothesize about science type film and yeah it, it, the, the elements are there to really crank it up and it doesn't do it until far too late and even then 
it's like they, they shoot themselves in the foot almost on purpose by having such pathetic laser defences and all sorts of other things that is actively hampering, uh, dampening a, uh, a tense sort of sequence at last when it comes. So, yeah, I'm going to drop it down to three, but there's a lot of elements I like here and, and, and the, the focus on scientific exploration and investigation is very interesting to me. But in terms of experiment for what type of film it is, I think it is a success, like you say. So if this is what you want from cinema, it, it's there. Yeah, and I'm sure there are people who do uh, want it. Like, you know, like all these scientists from the Infectious Disease Society. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> to be fair, they only said that the film was scientific, very scientifically <laughs> like, accurate. They didn't say they liked it. They didn't say they liked it, so, you know, who's, who's to say? Uh, it's but, a weird thing where it feels super modern, but also very of its time. It's a weird thing. Yeah, I, like the, yeah, I agree. The, the pace and the split screen and the attention to detail, very modern. But the yeah, language pace and the, the look of it and the cast is just very 70s. So. It's another three stars across the board. Like in terms of, it was two and a half stars across the board for volunteers. Um, but <laughs> this is another across the board rating, which oh, is, I don't What think, can split us? I, I think this is the first time on these two occasions that we've had it on Spotlight of the Movies we've been across the board the mm. same score pretty sure pretty sure check back on our previous episodes <laughs> yeah. see oh no you know what our very first one we were all three stars three men and a baby I think yeah yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah three men and a baby three, three stars three stars and a baby <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah no, but really interesting um, chat about this one uh, yeah it's yeah it's a it's a odd little film but again showing Wise's incredibly eclectic back catalogue. Yeah, and I think if you want to kind of, if you were exploring his thing, you know, he has directed one of the most like iconic sci-fi films of all time, The Day the Earth is Still. Mm, um, yeah, yeah, which we will definitely be covering soon on the podcast. Mm. And some, uh, yeah, some letterbox opinions here as well, very much mirror ours. Um, I like the basic plot of this, but a lot of the film is very dense. Uh, Crichton's story still awesome has some good 70s sci-fi within it not one of Wise's best but not bad that's basically what we're saying um, a four star review that says aside from some major flaws in the pacing in the film's cinematic language then Drum of the Strain still succeeds in being absolutely terrifying as far as science fiction films go uh, yeah, a bit of a stretch um, and yeah love me some crying much like his writing in the dark <laughs> <laughs> uh, eventually get to a cure this alien outbreak by that point I've listened to a baby cry for 120 minutes and I'm pretty done with the whole thing <laughs> so yeah someone very tested by the baby survivor there oh uh, yeah well for me uh, hearing a baby cry um, it does get me on a, a very primordial level at the moment so you know it was the most distressing part of the film it was like please feed the baby Feed the baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find us on Letterboxd at The Demps for me, Paul underscore Wilson for Paul, and Matt underscore Bro for Matt. All our uh, ratings for all the films we've got Spotlight and the movies and far more are there. You can also find Spotlight on various social media at Spotlight Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, you can leave us, not a three-star review like Andromeda Strain, <laughs> but a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we only accept five-star reviews here on Spotlight. Uh, so come and tell us what you think of the show, if what you think is five fucking stars like <laughs> we're always we are always interested to hear your thoughts um it helps us become more visible 
Uh, but, you know, the thing that's most important to us is just reading your lovely thoughts about the show. It's always of interest to us. We will be back with another episode. Will we be doing Spotlight of the Movies? Will we be interviewing someone from the world of Star Trek? Will we be covering another aspect of the Star Trek universe? Who can tell? Probably all three. <laughs> yeah, all three, yeah. But we will be back. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Liam. It's goodbye from me, my brothers. Adios. Goodbye, Spockliners. Goodbye, Spockliners.